where we we'll never grow old. We live in this fleshly body and we see it age. And it's hard to conceive or to think about a body. However, that spiritual body shall be that never grows old. John, as he's writing this book of Revelation, trying to describe to the people of his day a beauty to conceive of and to behold, again, that really does not do justice to heaven. There's no way that the human mind can conceive of what heaven shall be like. Thinking of some type of comparison and they're hard to come by. Thinking about the image that many of our soldiers saw when they came home from World War II on a ship and were able to see the Golden Gate Bridge home, to pass under the Golden Gate Bridge home. May not have been their physical home at that moment, but that was home. The war was over. Think about what God has created for us. Some have gotten back from a cruise and talked about the beauty of the rainforest. Some have talked about the beauty of the Grand Canyon, the Colorado Rockies, the Swiss Alps, any number of different places that are just beyond description of how beautiful they are. But think about a galaxy as you can find a place to look into the galaxy from time to time and to see the stars and to find out that as we develop greater telescopes and put them on satellites and put them out there in space, how, far, how much farther they look, just to try to comprehend all of that and to say, that's nothing. That's nothing. For those of John's day, as he's recording there in chapter 21, there was a excuse me, there was a beauty that they beheld that as Jews made their annual trips to Jerusalem, knowing that Jerusalem set up on a hill, that you could see it from a great distance. And that was the house of God. And a joy that swept over them from time to time to catch that image. How do you describe heaven? John uses some illustrations here in the whole book of Revelation. Reminding us that what he uses can in no way compare to the reality of what is. But seeing this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, 
that in this 21st chapter he uses a wide variety of illustrations. And oftentimes man misses the the beauty of the illustration, trying to comprehend the depth of those illustrations that are being used and trying to figure out how they would look. Looking at a city that in its description that in our terminology that was 1,500 miles square, what a, type, what a landmaster that would comprehend. And they come up with various illustrations, but you're missing the beauty of what he's saying. Or one that kind of fits for us, if you want an illustration, is the, the distance from Dallas to San Francisco is about 1,500 miles. From Dallas up into Canada is about 1,500 miles. From Dallas to Vermont is about 1,500 miles. Quite a land span, is it not? But that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is for the people of John's day to really grasp or to try to see this city that you see, this city that you cherish, this city that you long to see from time to time pales in comparison to what a heavenly city is going to be. Its walls, its streets, the gates. As you read through that illustration, those illustrations there in chapter 21, just a beautiful, beautiful city beyond our comprehension, using what we could identify with and the gems and the chemical or in, and the, the size and so forth that we can relate to some degree. Reminding yourself, if you will, that John is on a small island of Patmos as a political prisoner for being a preacher of the gospel. He would be one of the fortunate ones, as history or tradition tells us, that would be able to leave that island of Patmos, and he would be able to return to Ephesus and spend the remaining days of his life. But to see something that, how do you comprehend it? And to realize that whatever God has, spiritually far excels anything that we have physically. So all of this beauty that we see and all this beauty we behold, all this beauty that we marvel at, the moon at this particular time, whatever else is out there, just pales in comparison to what God has in store for those who love him. For those who long for him, the desire where we never grow old. Love the song, if that isn't love, we cannot see what God has done for us. One in, in designing this universe for us. 
He does not need the universe. He exists separate and apart from it. But he's created it for us. The care and the beauty that is in that staggers the mind. He designed it for us. And knowing full well that, again, we would not fully comprehend it. Those who have traveled in space often report back what they, the marvel of seeing the earth from outer space. And to see the changes that take place, and that's just a glimpse of what they have. The scientists tell us, again, as they look at the size of the galaxy that we have, taking our Earth and then taking our galaxy, and you keep pulling it out and out and out, that we end up being such a small dot in a, in a created universe. God designed that for us. What heaven must be like. So we take what they could associate with to say, listen, there is far something there's far there's something far greater than that that is waiting for us. The writer of the book of Hebrews shares that similar thought with us. In the 11th chapter, verses 8 through 10, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. But it's verse 10. For he waited for the city, which has foundations, and whose builder and maker is God. He was willing to trust God here, to leave his country, to go to a land that he had never seen, trusting God. But he was waiting for another city. He had his confidence and his hope in that other city, whose maker was God. Drop down to verse 13. Those that he's mentioned there in chapter 11 down to, through verse 12, all these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they've been called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Then it's verse 16. 
but now they desire a better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Jerusalem was built by man. The temple that was magnificent was built by man and destroyed by man and rebuilt by man, destroyed by man, rebuilt by man, and destroyed by man. But it was built by man. You think about a city whose builder is God. The eternity of it, the Again, beyond comprehension. We wrestle and grapple with what we have. We, we strive to understand the human body and how it works. We strive to comprehend this galaxy that we're in. We talk about it periodically. It's, it's amazing. It does not matter where you are on this globe understanding that it is a globe. But wherever you are on this globe, you always are standing upright. Now, how can you be standing upright in Australia? It's down under. But you're standing upright. We catch, again, the created world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke and it was so. We still stand in awe of what we discover in the physical world. What we catch a glimpse of in the in space. We constantly see things we haven't seen before, and we stand in awe of that. But for the Christian, whose faith and whose hope is in God, who doesn't have a moment's hesitation in believing that what John is saying here in Revelation 21 this simply pales in comparison. He uses everything that man was cherished, the street of gold, a gate, 12 gates, each one made out of a single pearl. The world has this idea of one pearly gate. The St. Peter at that gate, and everyone has to go through that gate. That's not what he describes. Twelve gates completely surrounding the city. It's open for anybody who will go through on the conditions that God has given. And as you read there through chapter 21 of Revelation, it also reminds us so many times of what will not be in that city. And it's interesting as he describes that. Verse 8, chapter 21, we stopped at verse 7. 
Verse 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable murderers, sexual immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. But the cowardly and the unbelieving are mentioned first. God has created man. And we're reminded in Romans 1 and verse 18 through 32, around verse 20 particularly, that creation tells you that there is a God and that man has no excuse. There is not a society anywhere on the face of this earth there's not a culture anywhere on the face of this earth that does not believe in something greater than themselves. God put it there. He put it in us that we would seek him. And it's given us his evidence that he is. And so when we fail to seek him, the fault's not on God's part. It's on ours. And when we have the evidence, but we choose not to believe it, or we choose not to follow it, where does that leave us? Again, it's hard to conceive of eternity. We're talking about spending eternity with God. Eternity cannot, cannot be spent. But to be with God eternally. Oh, what a blessing that must be. But to be without God eternally. Hard to even think about. To even want to dwell upon. And again, God in his grace and in his mercy has striven to provide us with what we need in order that eternity will be in a place that he dwells. And eternity with him will be in a place that he is also prepared for his children. Look what he prepared for us here. What will he have what has he prepared for us there? What John is trying to get help us to catch just a glimpse of and the terminology of his day using some illustrations as the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem of terms that they would be able to relate to and, and to see the reverence, the awe, the respect they had for the earthly one, how much greater it will be for the spiritual one. And if there was such a joy in seeing the physical one, that wherever they came and whatever horizon they came over, and to, to see that city, and to see its glory and its splendor, to know that that's where God dwelt, 
What will it be like to cross that threshold spiritually and to see that city God has prepared for his people? So John writes and encourages us and as John describes that terrific battle that is fought between Satan and God, John has already told you that Satan loses the battle. He's already lost the war and his day of punishment is coming. So Revelation is saying the battle has been fought and won. But whose side are you on? And it's hard in spite of, again, of what James reminds us of. Chapter 4, verse 14. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And I've often thought, again, I've mentioned before, do you think about a vapor, the, bre the brevity of a vapor that appears for just a short time and then vanishes away? That in that vapor, you, you are determining where you will be eternally. It's a frightening concept, is it not? I mean, that's just a short period of time. And you're going to determine where you will be eternally, with God or with Satan. And that vapor is this here but a short time, and then it's gone. The time that God has given to us is now. Never promised us tomorrow. Only is promised today. For those who will hear, believe his message, understand the message itself is that man is lost in sin without God, that he needs to repent of those sins, turn from them, confess that Jesus is the Savior, the only Savior of mankind, to obey that Savior in baptism for the remission of sins, to be raised to walk a new life. Then as a Christian, to live that life as God would have us to live it, to do his bidding, again, as God would have us to do, to be faithful unto him so that at the end of time our eternity may be with him. There's a fountain free, flows for you, flows for me. The fountain is open for all. It's free to you and to me. It costs God everything. It cost him watching his son die on a tree. It cost the son dying on that tree for our sins. Tremendous price for God 
tremendous reward or blessing for us if we will but receive it and follow it. As you look at your life this morning, as we sing that song to teach and to encourage one another, that fountain is open to all. If there's a need to become a child of God or there's a need to renew that life in Christ Jesus again, you need to respond to that invitation. Indeed, we bid you to come as together we stand in.